Welcome to CCO Podcast, calling college students to serve Jesus Christ with their entire lives. Afternoon, whatever it might be. Um, I stayed up really late last night, so it feels like it. Hey, uh, real quick, uh, you got to see a video of a camp called Summer's Best Two Weeks. City Kids, uh, several of you in this room know what Summer's Best Two Weeks is. I know because I've seen you there or you've worked there. Uh, We have a camp for urban students, and if there are any of you who would love to work with urban students or would like to work at any of our camps, uh, based upon a video you saw, we are here to share a message with you, not only that, but then talk to you about the possibility of working at Summer's Best Two Weeks. When you came in, you should have received a little card from one of these three folks right here, and I'm going to introduce them real quick, then I'm going to dive into God's Word with you. Can I do that? Awesome. This right here is Dominique Scott. Dominique is our Director of Staff Affairs and Development at Summer's Best Two Weeks City Kids. If you want to work at City Kids, please connect with Dominique. John Michael Manzano is right behind him. He is our Program Director and one of our interns working with us right now. Right next to Dominique is Luisa Huertas, uh, and Luisa is our Administrative Director. So we will be here both during this session and then after this, we'll hang around and would love to talk with you about spending your summer uh, loving the Lord Jesus Christ enjoying spending time doing recreational activities with students, but then ultimately growing yourself because that's the real goal. That's what I'm going to talk about today. If you think that you're coming to Summer's Best to minister the kids, that's not the goal. The goal really is for you to grow deeper, richer, greater, fuller in your walk with the Lord. That's all that we do. We just use sports as a platform to do that uh, as well as other competitive athletics. With that said, uh, take your Bible out, turn it to Ephesians chapter 1. And I am going to read verses 7 through 10. I wish I could do this whole past. What's up, brother? Uh, My bad. I'm sorry. I get distracted. Um, I wish I could read this whole passage to you, but you can do that in your own time. I'm just going to read verses 7 through 10. Then I'm going to pray. And then um, I'm going to be as absolutely vulnerable as I can be. Can I do that? Awesome. This is the word of God from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 7. In him we have redemption, in him that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon earth. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that as we consider this text, we really would consider this text. Consider what you're doing. I pray that you would uh, allow this audience to look way past me, that they might see more of you. Uh, I pray that you would do more of a work in my heart than anybody else's. I pray uh, that you would allow whatever to come out that you desire to come out. I pray as well that you would let it be known that you're God, that I'm your servant, that I've said all these things according to your word. Would you hear me so that all these people would know that you are the Lord, you are God, and there is none other. I pray that the truth of your word would go forth in power, with conviction, and with understanding. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so this session is called Name It, Claim It. If you came here for prosperity theology, that's not what you're getting. Um, <laughs> I told you I was going to be as vulnerable with you as I can possibly be. And so um, I came here last night with Louisa and John Michael. We came to Steve Gaskins, Stephen Gaskins concert because he's a friend. And so I spent time. uh, We didn't get home until late last night, went to sleep at three o'clock this morning. And the Lord would have it that I woke up at like six fifty, seven o'clock and everything in me wanted to continue to sleep. Right. Like any normal human being. 
And uh, I, I, I begin to tell myself, uh, here, here's another tidbit that you need to know. So we have a son, we have seven kids, but many of you have heard the story of my son Judah, who suffers through intractable epilepsy. Uh, and we have a nurse uh, most nights for him. Our nurse leaves at 7 a.m. And so one of us, my wife or myself, has to be up at 7 a.m. Well, as you can imagine, the good Christian husband that I am thought my wife would get up. Um, and so at 6.50, when my body wakes up, I say to my wife, um, you know how when you talk to somebody who's sleeping, they don't respond? But I, I asked my wife if she was getting up. The long and short of it is I wanted to continue to stay sleeping. But the reason I wanted to continue to stay sleeping is I said, Lord, I need to preach this afternoon and I need the energy to be able to preach. And so to do that, I need more sleep. He immediately was like, do you need me or do you need more sleep? And I'm like, I want to hear that. Like, I I need more sleep. Um, It began to I began to wrestle immediately. So. I begin to recognize when I woke up this morning, I never rehearse a message before I get up to share it. And so I started rehearsing the message in my mind, thinking I want to be prepared. What story am I going to open with? And then I immediately was like, Lord, I recognize that right now I'm trying to do what I can do. I'm trying to conjure to create an experience, not just for me, but for the audience. And I want to be led by your Holy Spirit because this is not the way to go about this. And so I woke up to... um, Oh, my phone is over there. But I, I woke up to a Facebook message from a pastor friend of mine in Severn, Maryland. Don't worry, I'm going to get back to Ephesians 1. And the message said, tomorrow I am preaching on the book of Ecclesiastes, how to not be too righteous or unrighteous when you go through hard circumstances. Do you mind if I use your story uh, with your wife and with your son Judah to talk about it? My response to my friend Marty Bennett was... Um, Yesterday was a hard day for me. I'm sorry, that's, that's my stuff. Let me turn it off. Um, so I told my friend Marty Bennett, yesterday was a hard day for me to trust God because Judah was having more seizures yesterday. And uh, we went to a birthday party last night and Judah had a bunch of seizures. And so I was mad at the Lord. I remember driving home just angry at the Lord thinking, dude, like for real, like I, why would you continually do this to him? Why would you continually do this to us? And so what I told him uh, last night was, or this morning, last night, y'all know how that go. (laughs) I said, the one thing that the Lord continues to remind me of is that I'm I'm a beloved child to a good father. And if you don't hear anything else I say over this next however long I'm up here, you need to you need to log that away. In this age where everybody is trying to grab your attention as an athlete, and some of us in this room are now what we call athletes, like you were an athlete, but you know now because of injury or something else, like me and Ted was just talking and his knees just won't do what they used to do. Uh, my Achilles right now, my right leg is doing the same. Uh, you begin to understand life is going to look different than what I thought life would look like. But I continue to tell my, I have to tell myself the truth even if I don't believe it at the time. And I am a beloved child with a good, good father. And so as I look at Ephesians chapter 1, this message called Name It, Claim It is just that truth. There are tons of people who when they talk about naming and claiming it, they talk about your dreams and what you want. That's not what I'm here to talk to you about. I'm here to talk to you most specifically about what it means to be a beloved child with a good, good father. I know, I look, I look at a son every single day before I left my house. John Michael can tell you because he was at my house. I left uh, a nurse with my son on the couch 
having seizures as I kissed his forehead and said, pray for daddy. Daddy's going to go preach to people. I can tell you that there's disappointment there. What, his, what I thought he would look like at age eight is different than what he looks like at age eight. So I'm not up here telling you what I'm about to tell you as somebody who does not daily have to remind myself I'm a beloved child in the hands of a good, good father, even if it doesn't look like he's a good, good father at the, at, at, at the time, nor at times does it look like I'm a beloved child. But what I've learned is my understanding of beloved child really is skewed because I think of myself as a beloved child because I think I'm a good father, not really recognizing I'm a father who also wants my children's approval, so I'm almost willing to do anything to get it, which is not really what love should look like. So you may be asking, what should it look like then? Great question. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In him, that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. It's only three things that I'm trying to tell you to name and claim. Number one is redemption. If you have trusted Jesus to be your savior, that means this text is true of you. Now, the beginning part of Ephesians chapter one, Paul says we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It does not feel like that. If I'm being honest, it doesn't feel like that when I look at my life day to day. It almost looks the opposite way, like we've been blessed with every spiritual curse. that you can. That's what it seems like. But that's because when I think of a blessing, I don't think being conformed into the image of God is a blessing unless it turns me into the miracle, like doing feeding the 5,000, turning water into wine. Like if I can take that water on my bag and turn it into something y'all would enjoy, like I want to be that Jesus. I do not want to be the despised, rejected, acquainted with grief, man of sorrows, Jesus. I do not want to be the Jesus that even his disciples can on one hand say, we believe that you're the son of God and on the next, on the next just completely turn away from him and run away. I do not want to be the Jesus that has 120 followers, no blue check for Jesus when he dies, right? And then Peter preaches one message and he blue check immediately. I don't want to be that Jesus. I don't want to be the rejected Christ. I want to be the one that's received. But the one who received God more than anybody was his father. And so the thing that I have to wrestle with daily, the thing that you have to wrestle with daily potentially is whose approval do you really want? Whose acceptance do you really want? Because according to redemption, when you look at this passage, through his blood, you receive the forgiveness of your trespasses. That means that God accepts you. God approves of you, not based upon what you've. So in this hotel um, this is in the Westin, when we were over there last night, uh, John Michael and I were laughing about this. And I said, this is probably going to end up in the message tomorrow. But I think this is dope. So you walk up to the elevator, right? And normally there's an up and down button but not in the Western. You just see numbers. And then you push a number, right? And then the door opens at some point, and then you step into the door. The door closes, and then you go to your number. What was dope is I walk into the elevator, and John Michael watched me do this. I started looking for where to push the number. And now, look, I pushed the number outside the door. But inside the door, I'm looking to push the number because I'm trying to figure out what floor we're going to. But no, I push that outside the door. I want you to understand the choice that I made on the outside of the door when the doors open and I walked into the door. My choice was already made. You're free to choose, but you're not free not to choose, nor are you free to choose the consequences of your choice. When you enter a relationship with Jesus, you end up at the 26th floor. If that's the button you hit. Am, am I making sense to everybody? But it's crazy because once I got in the elevator and I'm telling you, John Michael saw me literally. I walk into the elevator and, I, and my hand goes toward the wall where there's nothing. 
but that I'm used to pushing a button. I'm used to doing a work that would get me to the floor that I'm expecting to get to. And there are some of us that now that we believe on Jesus, even inside of grace, we're like, well, I'm used to working to get people's approval. I'm used to working to get people's acceptance. I'm used to doing something to get to where I need to go. And so what do we do inside of grace? We do God the same way. And instead of understanding that Jesus paid for our transgressions, Jesus paid for our trespasses, we act like we have to pay for them. We act like there's something more we have to do in order to actually get redemption from God. But no, he already bought us. And so if he already bought us and he already purchased us, what is his goal for us? Well, ultimately to grow deeper, richer, fuller, greater understanding of a relationship with him. I know this is going to sound counter um, Christian, but God does not need you to share the gospel. Now, I know that that sounds counter Christian. I, I hope that you understand me in context. Right. If you didn't exist, God would still get the gospel out. So he doesn't need you to share the gospel. What he needs you to do to, is to experience the gospel out of that experience. Guess what you're going to do? Share it. Just like any good iPhone app or any smartphone app that you have that changes your life, you go share about it because it affects you. And that's anything in life. Y'all know. So the first time I will remember when I was in college, the first time I ate at Chipotle and I remember somebody making a joke. Yo, when did they just start taking blankets out and putting food in them and wrapping them up? I remember that was the running joke because they had these giant burritos. I remember the first time I went to Chipotle. You know what happened? I went immediately back to campus and started telling everybody, yo, you need to go to Chipotle because there's a lot of food and it's cheap. And if you're an athlete, you need a lot of food. You need it to be cheap, but you need it to be at least semi-healthy. And Chipotle did that for us as athletes. Because it affected my life and the way that I was working day to day, it was easy for me to communicate to everybody. So if you're in here and you're wrestling to share your faith with other people, my next natural question is, have you had the experience of the redemption? What do I mean by that? Well, I could go to Psalm 107 and talk about being destitute and all of that before coming to faith, but I'm going to suffice it to say this. If you have not experienced uh, how far away from God you are because you've never really thought about what God had to give up in order to get to you, you probably have never experienced all of redemption. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't know how many of you have ever done this, that you get a present for Christmas, you ain't never seen it before, you don't know what it is because it's new and it was expensive, but you didn't know that, and so you treat it like it don't matter. Uh, I remember once my wife, uh, I got my wife a, a, a brand new phone, and it was a very expensive phone, but she didn't know that. Fact is, I can tell you another story that's even more fun. At least it is to me. Um, I'm a Hilton Honors member. Anytime I go preach at places, I stay in the Hampton because they have 100% guaranteed satisfaction. And if I don't like it, I ain't got to pay. But anyway, <laughs> never forget they had this promotion that if you signed up for this app or whatever and you went in and you filled out the survey, you could potentially win a Surface, like the brand new Surface Pro 3, I think is what it was. I never win stuff like that. So... I'm like tagging. It was like every 20 minutes they run the joint. So I like did it and I won $50. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> then I thought it was a scam because I never win stuff like that. But I got a $50 gift card in my inbox. So I was like, dope, I'm going to keep doing this. So every 20 minutes on the hour, which was like the total waste of my time. Um, but I was, I was clicking to see if I could win. Anyway, so I win this Surface Pro 3. Brand new, hadn't even come out yet. I come home with it. Right. Because, well, I say I come home with it. it. When it came to my house, I gave it to my wife as a present. Now, it didn't cost me anything but time. 
but it was like a $500 surface because they hadn't come out yet. When I watch my wife handle the surf, like I'm treating it with care in the package because I know how much it's worth. I know how much it costs. So I'm giving it to her. She just ripping the joint open. She peels it out and she's like, this is cool. She's letting our kids play with it, which this was like five or six years ago. My oldest son is 12. So that should tell you something like all of our kids were really small. I'm like, babe, you can't let them just play with this. See, I understood the value of it. But because it was free to her, she didn't understand the value of it. She did not consider the cost. She did not consider how much time it took me to win it. She did not consider how much it cost. She just considered, hey, I got a free gift, and some of us are doing God the same way with salvation. Man, I got my heavenly ticket. The blood of Jesus covered my sin. I'm straight. But we don't ever really consider the cost. We don't consider that God was willing to kill his own son and have his own son suffer. So somebody like me who was watching his son suffer, I treat God like he's not fair when, no, God is just making me like him. I don't like that, though. Because that's not what I think of when I think of Christianity. You know, my name it claiming I want you to be healed. Not my name it claiming I want to be like the Father. But in redemption, when he gives me the forgiveness of sins, when he gives us uh, what the Bible says is the riches of his grace and he lavished them upon us in all wisdom and insight, that's generally not the life that we want. I, I've learned that at least for T. Pope, I want to often do the Christian thing the worldly way. Like, and I can't imagine I'm not talking to some athlete in this room that if you to be honest, you really do want to make a name for the Lord as you play. But you also want to make that money. Right. You also want to have that notoriety. You also want to have that fame. You also want cheers. You want to walk in where everybody knows your name and they always got you came. You want to be able to walk through somewhere and people are asking for your autograph or you see your name on somebody else's back to let you know that you made it. The Lord continues to tell me. That sometimes when I think I'm trusting him, I'm really not trusting me. Let me move to point number two. Point number one is redemption. Point number two is the riches of his grace. I need you to hear verse eight, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think that God's grace toward me was just enough. I don't know if you've ever been there, but you think like. Let me put it this way. In my world. I do not believe God, I, I, I do believe God can handle chaos, but I'm not so sure how he can handle my chaos. And if he can, it's like just, just enough to handle my chaos. I don't know if you've ever thought like that, but you're like, man, God can, you ever been that person that you can give grace to everybody else when they sin, but when you sin, it's just hard to experience grace. It's hard to really look in God's face and really understand this gospel of salvation, this blood of Jesus that covers you because you should know better. Anybody, anybody else there? Am I the only one that's been there? Absolutely. And the reason we do that is because we don't really think about passages. I don't. Let me not speak for y'all. I don't really think about passages like this. The text says he lavished it on us. This grace that he has, there's a richness to the grace. It's not like God is in heaven going, yo, I can only barely save you. Like you barely going to make it. I don't know if I have enough for the both of us. No, God is like, no, there's, there's, no, there's no end to this. There's no end. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter six, should we continue in sin that we might experience the fullness of God's grace? What Paul is trying to communicate is, no, there's a grace that has saved you, a grace that's going to sanctify you. But please understand that grace is free, but it is not cheap. It is expensive. It costs the life of the Lord Jesus. And if you're going to follow God, it's going to cost yours, too. As you lay your life down and begin to take up his cross daily and follow him. 
But when I see the riches of his grace, man, I just think God owns everything. God made everything. There is nothing that I'm communicating to you in this passage that God not only wants to give you, but that he hasn't already given. God already extended grace. He's already extended you to forgiveness of sins. I don't know if y'all are like me, where if you sin, you wait a little while before you confess it to make sure that you can communicate to yourself and the others that you're over it. So you don't want to confess it that same day because then you don't even look genuine. You know what I'm saying? It's like when a kid slap his sister or her sister, whatever. When somebody slap their sibling and then the parents catch them and then they're immediately like, well, I would say I'm sorry. Literally, this happens with my kids. I would say I'm sorry, but. I don't think you're going to believe me. It's like, well, are you, are you sorry? Or are you, or are you not? Like, I'm going to believe you if you're actually sorry, but if you go, sorry, then no, I'm probably not going to believe you. The other thing that I've learned about me is when I think about the riches of this grace, I think, God, I don't want to tell you I'm sorry because I might do it again. This is something a good friend of mine named Scott Stelzer once said to me, and I think it's so pertinent. He said, you know, Timotheus, I'm really good at saying no to sin, but I'm almost afraid to say never to sin. But when you understand what God has done for you, for me, for us in his gospel, that's his desire. His desire is we're not just saying no to sin, but we're saying never to sin. Not because we're saying never to sin, but because we're always saying yes to him. We're always staring in his face. We're always seeking to love him more. We're always seeking to give of ourselves that we might know him and make him known to others. I'm going to move to this third point. And then my goal is to do question and answer as long as you're willing to hear. I don't know. Verse nine, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention. I got to stop. I don't know if you ever thought that God is mean or God is harsh. I don't know if you've ever have been one of the people who read the Old Testament and read the New and you go, man, the guy from the Old Testament ain't the same as the God of the New. My wife and I had this discussion uh, recently because it was a good discussion. I said, sweetie, there are a couple of things that most people don't recognize about Scripture. Number one, most of the Old Testament is narrative. We see 12 history books in the Old Testament. You know how many history books we see in the New? One. And that's the book of Acts. So most of what you see is not narrative. It's not chronological order stuff. The other thing that I don't think people recognize is when you look at the entire Old Testament, you look at a, a period of almost 4,000 years. Whereas when you look at the New, you look at a period of maybe 75, 90 at the most, 105 if you go from 4 B.C. to 90 A.D. when John finished writing, 91 if you are on that end of the spectrum. But still, you're talking about 100 years. So when we look at those two things, when you juxtapose them, it is clear that the point of the New Testament is to get you to the veracity of the resurrection of Jesus, period. Because the scripture concludes that that's what life is about. First Corinthians chapter 15, if we only have hope in this life in Christ, we have of all people most to be pity. Uh, He says, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then you are still in your sins. Your faith is in vain. What he's saying is the resurrection is the point Uh, for free. Christianity is the only religion in the world that if you remove a resurrection, you no longer have a faith at all. You notice another thing in Christianity, if you remove it, it, it's gone. Love. There are tons of other religions that can exist without love. Christianity cannot. God can't exist because God is love. First John chapter four, verse eight, verse 16. The first greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength can't exist. Second one, love your neighbor as yourself, can't exist if love doesn't. That being the case, I need you to understand when we look at the kind intention, 
If you think God is harsh, God is mean. No, no, we don't understand love. The idea we have of love is very skewed. Right. We don't think uh, that we don't think that love is willing to hurt somebody. But it is. Can I give you an example? Judah's in the hospital. He's not in the hospital now, but two, three years ago now, June, we were in the hospital not too far from here. There's a nurse. Judah's lying in the bed. The nurse takes a needle. Nurse puts it in Judah's skin. Judah winces. Judah was in a pharmacological coma at that point, but his face winced as she's putting this medicine in him. She says to him, I'm sorry, buddy. Let me tell you something. He was in a coma and still felt it. I need you to understand this one is for free, too. It just came to mind. So I'm saying that some of us are in spiritual comas. It still hurt. He's in a coma. She stabs him. He winces. I look at her. Can he feel this? She said he shouldn't be able to, but I saw his face as well. She says to him, I'm sorry, buddy. I say to her, you're sorry, but you're not. Like the reality is if you're going to love him, you have to hurt him by poking him with that needle to get him what he needs to survive. But if you don't love him, to, to not put that in him, to not hurt him in that way is actually not loving him more. It's loving him less. So if you actually want to love him and actually do your job as a nurse, you got to hurt him. Think about doctors who reset bones. I don't know if you, I mean, a lot of athletes in here, some of y'all might have had some bones reset. I don't know to anybody who's ever been like, that was a pleasant experience. Like, that's not the way we work. No, they reset your bone. Just think about this. They reset your bone to put it back into place, but it hurts like crazy. But they're willing to hurt you to get you back where you're supposed to be. God is near to the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. If we want him to be present, then it may mean we're brokenhearted. If we want him to bind up our wounds as a good doctor and a healer, if we want him to be Jehovah Rapha, it may mean that we need some sickness and some places where we need him to be a healer. If we really want to see him do miracles, it may very well be the case that the people we know and love need to be in circumstances where miracles are necessary. Ain't it something that we pray for God to do miracles, but then somebody like me, I'm talking to me too. God then puts my son in a place where for three years I've watched him suffer. I've been praying for to, for, to see miracles. I'm now in a place where a miracle is necessary and I'm still praying to see a miracle happen, but I've seen a ton of them. The crazy thing is, as I think through God's kind intention, I'm getting to talk about the revelation of his will. I'm still on the riches of his grace. The craziest part of that is in all of the miracles I see God do, I still oftentimes I'm like, yeah, but you're not doing the one miracle I want you to do. You ever been there where you like there are so many things that God is doing, but you act like he's doing nothing because he's not doing the one thing you want him to do. I was talking to the Lord yesterday. I think it was driving home from a birthday party, the birthday party last night. And um, this is actually anyway. So I'm tell the story probably going too far. But anyway. So there's a guy in here that I play basketball with um, who came with me. And yesterday we were playing basketball yesterday afternoon and he got hit in a very sensitive area at one point in the game and he hit the floor. And he was on the floor for a while. At that time, I just I'm just being transparent with you. I thought, dude, I have not gotten hit like that in years. That was my first thought. Like, I cannot think of the last time I got hit like that. My second thought, Lord, thank you that I haven't gotten hit like that in years. 
You know what the next thought was? How many more things have you prevented me from getting hit in all the rest of my life that I haven't even thanked you for? You know what helped me understand gratefulness in that instant? Somebody close to me that I love getting hurt. I'm going to say that again, just in case it didn't set in the first time, because I'm talking to me too. Sometimes the very thing that gets us to understand gratefulness and to see a spirit of our own pride and ungratefulness is somebody we know and love gets hurt in a way that we weren't expecting. So some of the pain of other people that you see where you immediately want to go, God, you're not fair. God, you're being mean. I need you to understand that the kind intention of his will is to redeem all things. Back to the text. According to his kind intention, when he purposed in him with a view of uh, to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth, all of life redeemed what you eat, where you go, who, you know, how, you know, those people, marriage, kids, family, um, occupation, vocation, professionalism. He wants all of life redeemed. I am learning day by day that the God I profess to know, the Christianity I profess to live is often not in step with this book. Because I've turned God into a God that I can worship and do what I please with because it's a whole lot easier to do that than actually submit to what he says. Because the stuff that he says isn't always favorable to what I like. He got some stuff in this book that if you read it, boy, you just go, whoo, I don't know that I, whoo, I like. And so then God is not afraid of my questions. God, how is that love? Can you explain to me how that's love? And he every single time has shown me that what I tend to focus on is the one place where I don't think God is showing love instead of all of the places where he has. So I was sharing with a young girl in Michigan a few days ago. What people don't understand is this kind intention of his will. He is giving every opportunity for you to hear who he is and experience who he is and understand who he is. So if you go, man, I don't want to do that. He loves you enough to let you get your choice. That's the hardest part about being a dad, if I'm going to be honest with you, at least for me. You cannot rationalize with a child who wants to do something really idiotic that they think is going to work. And, you know, great good and well, it's not going to work. You know, they're going to get hurt. So my son, Asher, who is almost two. I love Asher to do this hilarious smile. Asher will climb on top of a table. And like only have three points of contact. The reason y'all laughing is because you know what I mean by three points of contact. Two knees, one hand, and he reaching for something. I'm like, bro, this can't end well. Like, based upon physics, at some point, your weight and gravity ain't going to match. But they will. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, at some point, you're going to reach way too far, and then you're going to fall. Every single time, I love watching him because he'll get to that place, and y'all know what that place is where you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, where you startle, and then you can tell in his brain he's like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be doing this. So he go back, but then he goes and he does it again. And each time he gets a little further before he gets startled until he almost. And I'm sitting there telling him, bro, don't do this. Like, you need to get down. And I'm calling his name. Bro, you need to get down. Asher, you need to get down. We had his footstool at the house. It's like an ottoman. And he'll climb up on the ottoman and he'll just start jumping on the ottoman. It ain't but that big. He ain't looking where he do. he just jumping and he's smiling at me and he's looking at his siblings. I'm like, brother, you're not paying attention to where your feet are landing and they're not landing in the same spot every time. 
let me back up and talk about this a little bit differently. Some of us, when we think about the revelation of God's will and his kind intention, are playing with things that are out of reach, that he put out of reach on purpose because he loves us. And you get a little bit closer and you feel that jarring and you know, oh, I'm tripping. I need to back up. But then you keep going closer and closer and closer to the very thing that you know is going to hurt you. You know, the thing about God and I've learned about him that has changed my view of love as a dad. He doesn't stop you. Sometimes he does. Don't get me wrong. You can read Abimelech in Genesis. Sometimes he stops you. He can stop you through a dream. He can stop you through another person. Sometimes he doesn't. He lets you run headlong into what you want to do and you find yourself in a place where you didn't ever thought, didn't ever think you would find yourself. The revelation of God's will is the redemption of all things, whether things in heaven or on things on earth. He wants everything in your life and everything in my life to submit to him. I was thinking about this. I have a lot of conversations with my 12 year old son about purity. And while I was gone, uh, we were out recruiting at the beginning of this week, um, it just so happened that a friend of my, a friend of my son's had posted a new video that my son wanted to see. This was all second. This is all secondhand from when I got home. He wanted to see the video. I wasn't there. Mom puts him to bed. He goes and grabs the Kindle. He then takes the Kindle to his bedroom. He then tries to access the Kindle so he can watch this video. The Kindle has a password on it. The Kindle is password protected. So now he can't watch the video. Unbeknownst to him, because he's engaged in his own thing that he is trying to make sure that nobody sees, his mom comes up the stairs and opens the door. As he hears the door open, he does what any good Christian little kid would do. He throws that bad boy under his pillow and acts like he's asleep. <laughs> My wife, what were you doing? I was sleeping. Why did you move so fast? Again, this is all secondhand. My son says to her, well, what else would I be doing? You know you lying when you don't answer the question. <laughs> so my wife continues to probe and prod and ask a bunch of questions. Finally, he tells her, I, was, I had this. She then does what any good parent would do and communicates to him how disappointed that she is in the fact that he didn't trust us enough to be honest and to think that we have his best interest in mind. I come home. My wife says, Simeon needs to talk to you about what he did while he was gone. I'm like, man, I just got back and I already got to discipline somebody. So I sit on the couch. We're both looking that way. I say, Simeon, what happened? He tells me a story that's different than how it's happened, as any 12-year-old boy would. I ask him if he's being honest with me. He says yes, as any 12-year-old boy would. I asked him if he was being honest again, and I said, well, tell me the story again. And then he started inserting details that he left out the first time. And I was like, hey, did you know you didn't say that the first time? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> so you lied to me. Yeah. Why? Because I didn't want to get in trouble. I thought you'd be mad. I said, you know, Simeon, I'm not mad about you getting a Kindle, although that's wrong. What I'm more so mad about, I need you to hear God's kind intention and him summing up all things in Christ here. What I'm mad about is you don't think that I love you so much that I'm willing to die for you. So if I keep something from you, it's because I love you that much. His response, all I want to do is watch a video. Son, it's not about the video. It's about the fact that if you're willing to hide that candle on your, under your pillow, you're willing to hide other things from us. And we love you. There's nobody on this planet who's going to love you more than we do. 
We're trying to teach you to be a man of integrity. Simeon then says, well, I wanted to watch it. I said, and what does that do for you? Like, so you watch the video and then what? He was like, what do you mean? I said, like, what does that do for you? Like, what, what is it doing? Like, when you finish watching that video, what will, what will be true of you that would not have been true of you if you watched the video? You know what Simeon said? And I thought this was deep insight from a 12-year-old. He said, and he names the little boy who has the video up. He said, well, that young man has been moving away from friendship with us. And I thought if I watch this, man, listen to this. If I watch this video, I would be able to connect with him in friendship about what he posted and maybe develop our friendship more. I said, so Simeon, what you're telling me is, what I'm hearing you say is, in order to build a relationship with somebody else, you went against what your parents and authority told you to do. He said, yeah. I said, why would you do that? He said, well, because he's a friend of mine and I really do, I I really do, like, I I miss the friendship that we've had and I feel like he's been moving away in friendship. I said, so you telling me that friendship means more to you than your parents' relationship with you? Simeon looked at me and he said, well, yeah, I guess it does. I thought that was deep insight for a 12-year-old. Instead of him arguing, he's, yeah, I mean, pretty much that relationship means more than my relationship with my parents. Here's the insight that I got as I was talking to him that I think is incredible. As I talk about the revelation of God's will, him summing up all things in Christ, he wants to redeem all things. I think that Simeon is more willing to sin because he knows we love him. I think he's more willing to do that, to reach out to that friend because he knows my parents are able to forgive me. There's a richness of grace in my parents. I can lean on that grace to go and do something that might not be the best thing to do, but might get me what I want. There are some of us in this room doing that with the Lord. You're abusing his grace and you're acting like he doesn't matter. You're treating other relations. Yo, he wants your relationship summed up in Christ. There is nobody who wants a better relationship person to person than Jesus. Think about that. Like God wants a good relationship with you. He wants you to grow more than you do. He wants your relationships to be good with your parents more than you do. He wants your relationships with your siblings like in Christ and otherwise, to be good more than you do. He wants, he prayed that we would be one. Jesus died so that we would be one. If you've got broken relationships with believers in your life, there's nobody who wants you reconciled more than God. You never have to go outside of God's will and out of what God has already told you to do something that he's already told you not to do. Here's my challenge to you, my challenge to me. When I think of love, I think that love, if I'm going to be honest, gives people what they want, doesn't give them what they don't want, and tries to make sure they have a pretty good life. That ain't biblical at all. And I continue to ask myself, where did I get that from? And I can tell you, movies, lies, hearing other people say, well, if you loved them, you would. If you want to know if he loves you so, it's in his kiss. Things like that, that are embedded in my deep subconscious that I don't even think. My challenge to you, my challenge to me is seriously consider what you name and claim. Seriously consider, am I or am I not a beloved child with a good father? Because if you've never come to know Jesus, right now you're a beloved creation who is in desperate need of adoption. But if you've come to know Jesus, I'm here to tell you, athlete, whether you're athlete or not, athlete, student, whatever you identify as, 
you need to know that your identity is not in being an athlete and it's not in being a student. It's not in being anything other than a beloved child with a good father. If I put my identity in being a speaker, what I'm going to end up doing is sitting up here trying to tell you something that's deeply impacting your life. If I see myself as a beloved child with a good father, I can sit up here and tell you about my experience just getting to sit in my father's lap. I think I'm in with this story, I think, and then I'll open it up for questions. My daughter Charity is one of my favorite people in the entire world. All my kids are. Um, what this thing that Charity does, I've told this story several times now, when she comes down in the morning, she's like half asleep. And when I'm reading my Bible, she'll come and she'll lay her head right on my legs. And we go through this little routine where I start asking her questions that she can say me too. So I say, good morning, sweetheart. Uh, we call her chair bearer and I call her cheetah. And so I say, good morning, cheetah. And then I'll kiss her on the forehead and I say, who does daddy love? And she goes and she sucks her two fingers. That's my favorite part. She comes down and she's sucking both fingers and she rubs her belly button at the same time. <laughs> and I'll go, uh, good morning, Cheetah. Who does daddy love? And she goes, me. And then I'll say, uh, who did Jesus die for? And she'll go, me. And then I say, who's going to make an awesome wife and mom? Me. Who's going to buy daddy a million dollar house? Me. She just keeps saying me over and over and over again. And what the Lord has continued to say to me is, because I'm reading my Bible at that time. And I don't know about y'all, but sometimes when you read your Bible, people come and interrupt you and you get mad because it's like, yo, man, this is my time. This is my time. I need you back up. What the Lord has communicated to me is, Timotheus, if you really want to understand who I am, how I am, how I redeem all things, the revelation of my will, if that's what you really, what you're doing with your daughter is just as, if not more significant in my walk with you as reading your Bible, because that's where you understand what kind of dad I am. I don't know if you've ever thought this, but my relationship with my dad is not like my relationship with my kids. And so sometimes I project onto God, my relationship with my dad. My dad didn't do that kind of stuff with me, so I don't think God does that kind of stuff with me. What God is showing me is, Timothy, you want to be a good father. You do stuff like that because you want to be a good father. I am a good father. And I do that to you all the time. Even when you don't want me hugging you, even when you don't want me around you, I'm still going to be around you. I actually said this the other day. It's quoting Job, but I wasn't even thinking about quoting Job. I said, man, I feel like sometimes the Lord won't leave me alone to swallow my own spit because he's always in my face pushing and prodding me. Before I left the house today, dang, I didn't end with that story. I'm sorry. I'm Billy Blanks right now. Um, Before I left the house today, I'm getting to walk out and I hear the subtle impression of the Lord go, Hey, you didn't talk to Judah before you left. And so I walk into the living room and I hadn't even touched him all day just because I was running around. And I laid my hands on Judah and I said, hey, buddy, go. I told you, I, hey, buddy, I'm daddy's going to go preach. Pray for daddy. And then I, I start walking away and the Lord is like, you didn't kiss him. And I'm like, dude, like, OK. So <laughs> I go, I go and I kiss him. And in that moment, I get it. Judah can do nothing back. At least at this point, Judah's not hugging me back. Judah wasn't even looking at me. But what I begin to understand is it is not about what Judah can do for me. It's about my affection toward him. And the Lord was saying to Matthew, it's not what you can do for me. It's about my affection towards you. I killed my son for you. I'm, I, I, I laid down his life for you. I'm willing, to, I, I, I'm willing to give up anything in order just to get you in my face. Why would you ever run from me or believe I'm not doing something for your best interest? What I need you to name and claim is whether it's an injury or some amazing achievement or accolade. I need you to understand all of life redeemed means you don't care nothing about being, you don't care nothing except about being a beloved child with a good father. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and love and mercy. I thank you that you are a good father and that I'm a beloved child and you have stated that and you 
can never fail. I thank you that even in the midst of my seeking to strive, you just remind me, you can just be still and know that I'm God and that I'll be exalted among the nations. I thank you for brokenness. As much as I hate it, I thank you for brokenness because it is in that place where I truly see who you are and truly understand gratefulness. Lord, there are many of us in this room that are taking advantage of your grace and we're not summing up all things in you. We don't, we don't even include you in where we go to school, what we do at school, what major, what occupation. We don't include you in any decisions. We just hope that you won't step on our toes in the decisions we make. I pray that you would convict us of that sin and remind us that you love us. You want what's best for us more than we do. I'm sorry for not trusting you in that way. And for pursuing things that you never told me to pursue and then acting like you're not faithful to provide when I've pursued things you don't want me to pursue. You're a good father and you're teaching me how to walk with you. Just as my little ones have learned to walk, you're teaching me how to walk. I pray that as I stumble, you would just remind me that you are there holding my hand and I will never be hurled headlong because it's you who are holding me by the hand. We thank you for that in Jesus' name and we pray that we would never lose sight of that gospel. Never lose sight of that grace, that we would name it every day and claim it. We are beloved children with a good, good father. In Jesus' name. Head down, eyes closed real quick. Got to do this. If you are a leader uh, on your campus in CCO, by all means, have your head up. Other than that, I would ask that you respectfully keep your head down. Four quick questions. If you're in here, you would say, Timotheus, I'm not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've never come to know Jesus as my Savior. If I died right now, I would bust hell wide open. Gasoline draws on. I already know that's me. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Anybody in here like that this afternoon that you know you're lost? Cool. Second question for me this afternoon. If you're in here, you would say, Pope, I'm, I'm not sure. Dude, I would love to tell you with the confidence I hear in you that I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus, that he loves me, and I know that I'm a beloved child and with a good father. But if I'm going to be honest, I don't know if I've trusted Jesus for my salvation. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Anybody in here like that? Throw it, nice, throw it up nice and high. Don't play eternity roulette. I'm going to be here. I'd love to talk to you. Thank you for your honesty. Third question for me this afternoon, if you're in here, we go to Matthias. Man, you hit you hit, you hit the nail on the head for me, brother. I have been mad at God. I have acted like he doesn't care. I, when I think about my sports season, when I think about my athletics, when I think about my life, what's going on with my family, what's going on with my great, like I look at my life and I do not feel like a beloved child with a good father. I heard you say that, man, and I cringe when you said it because that's just not how it feels. That's you, would you raise your hand? Anybody here like that? Thank you so much for your honesty. I'm going to pray for y'all in just a second. Fourth and final question for me this uh, afternoon. If you're in this room right now and you would say, Timotheus, you talked about all of life being redeemed. You talked about every major. You talked about eating. You talked about exercise. You talked about education. You talked about everything in life, what we wear, where we go, who our friends are, how we treat other people, all of life being redeemed. Man, if I'm going to be honest, I never even thought about that, much less live it. That's not how I think about Christianity. That's not how I think about what Jesus has done. But I want to. If you're there, would you raise your hand if there's anybody in here like that, that you're like, man, I, I want to be there. Have everything in my life mean the most to him because he means the most to me. Father, I pray for those hands that went up for any reason, especially those who said they're not sure that they would come and talk to one of us. I pray in the name of Jesus for um, those who have said, 
they're mad at you and they don't feel like beloved children with a good father. I pray that you would do something today that would remind them of your goodness, that they would just take out a journal and write down all the things that they have to be thankful for. And dear Lord, I thank you and pray for those um, who, like me, desire to see everything summed up in you. I desire that, Lord. I don't, I don't like it all the time because it's different than what I think. I really do pray that you would sum up, uh, allow me to see everything summed up in you. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.